Welcome to this week's episode of Dugout Dish Podcast. I'm here with my co-host Keith Glasser. Keith, how we doing? Great. How are you? Good. Excited to be here. We uh, for today's episode, we're going to cover cover three specific topics. Um, we'll we'll start with a breakdown of scholarships across all the different levels of college baseball: Division One, Two, Three, NAIA, and JUCO. Break that down. Make sure everybody's clear on how that works and some of the nuance there. Uh, second topic we're going to cover is we're going to talk a little bit about the importance of stats, how they're viewed, um, and some of the conversation around that particular topic. And then we want to dive into, as a recruit, as a player, as a parent, what to look for in a program from a development standpoint and some of the things that can, that can tip you off to that they do it really well. Um, so with that, Coach Glasser, let's uh, let's jump into the scholarship breakdown. We got we'll start right up at the top here with with Division One, which is probably the one everybody is uh, interested in. But we got eleven seven for a fully funded program, so it means you got eleven point seven scholarships for a fully funded program. There's a minimum offer from an athletic perspective of twenty five percent of the cost of attendance, right? Which is not necessarily room and board, but the cost of attendance would be your tuition. So 25% of the tuition. And then from a roster perspective, right? It's now 32 counters. So you have 32 players on your 40 man roster starting this fall that you have the ability to distribute that money across. Those are the high level basics, but as we know, coach, uh, it's not necessarily that straightforward and that those baseline numbers do not apply to everybody. No, uh, you know, and those numbers also, the 11 seven is if you're fully funded, right? Yep. You know, not every program out there is going to be fully funded when it comes to scholarship money, you know, so I, I think it's kind of fair to say that the, the bigger conference schools are, are likely going to be completely fully funded. Um, you know, I, I know, I remember when I was at Siena, I think when I was there, shoot, we might've only had like six or seven, um, scholarships when I was at Siena. So, you know, just as a, you know, kind of as you, the levels within the levels, depending on the funding from the school standpoint is going to be kind of what that number ends up is going to be more individualized to the school and that program. Um, you know, I think the other thing that kind of gets lost in the in this conversation is whether or not schools can stack or, or not with academic money financial aid and everything else so you know kind of you'll you'll hear people say stack or not stack um you know that just kind of the the very layman's term is going to be you know if you can stack that means you can take athletic money you can take financial aid you can take academic money and everything goes into your financial aid package so you'll get academic need-based everything in that um, overall scholarship number for you. Schools that can't stack, like they're gonna have to choose which one they're going to give you, whether it's gonna be academic money and need-based financial aid or athletic scholarship money. And generally speaking, you know, you, people will end up taking the, the obviously the one um, that's gonna allow you to pay less money 
towards your your tuition room and board the total cost of attendance there you know so it, and again that varies school to school um you know i i know there's at least one school in the in the acc that can't stack um you know and, and there's a, a lot of schools out there that you know can and can't so you know it really depends on you know the the individual school that's recruiting you and what that school is allowed to do uh with their scholarship money and, and with um, the academic and need-based financial aid um, that's available for you there. So it's it's a very individualized and, and kind of nuanced um, issue when it comes to the scholarship money there. Yeah, you brought up you brought up two interesting examples, like the stacking pieces. Everybody just assumes, at least a lot of the conversations I have, that that is a thing, and it's not always a thing at particular schools. Like some schools have the ability to use academic money but they can't stack the financial aid so they can't get that needs need-based money to come into into the equation some of them may not get the academic money but they can do the financial aid and some of them get all three right so that's an important thing to understand if you get a scholarship offer and they say hey we're going to cover 70 percent or 60 percent right which is obviously a really high number you should probably ask what that breakdown is because if you're getting 70% baseball money, that's very different than getting 25% baseball money and then you qualify based on other stuff. Um, just gives you some insight into kind of where you fit in the program, right? Like, you know, 25% offer versus a 50% offer, you know, it tells you about, you know, what they see for you in the future and uh, all that kind of good stuff. The other example that you brought up, which I think is a really interesting one, and I've actually had some some rather odd conversations around this, but there are some schools who cannot stack and essentially scholarships for division one baseball. It's, it's kind of a free market where coaches place a value on a player based on their level of play, the position, the role they think that they're going to play in the future. Right. So some school might offer a kid 70%. Another school might only offer him 30 but one school might be an ACC school who doesn't see quite as much of a ceiling versus, you know, so that school might be somebody who's in the Mac and they're trying to just throw a bunch of money at a kid. But what I'm driving at is there are situations if you can't stack money, that if I put a value of 35% on you and that's how much baseball money I'm willing to give you, but I have a feeling that you may qualify for more financial aid and or academic money, as a coach, I want to do my due diligence to make sure that I'm giving you the best financial package. So if I think I can get you 45 without the baseball money, I'm going to get you that 45%. So I, I've run into that with several situations. The interesting thing is I've actually had a couple parents say we would rather just take the baseball money, even though the academic and financial aid is because they want it to be tied to us, which threw me off a little bit. I, I, I've, I, I've yeah. seen that before and it's, it's bizarre to me. I mean, it's really, it just comes down to like, you just want to be able to say that you're on scholarship, <clears throat> but like it, it's all coming from the same place anyways. So it's not, you're still getting scholarship money. So like, uh, you know, unless you just want to tweet out that, you know, I have a scholarship, like you can do the same thing. Like you're receiving scholarship money. <laughs> like it's gonna, like, you're going to play baseball on scholarship. Like, yeah. Fine. Yeah. Um, no, it's an interesting situation, but the, the nuance around those scholarships, like you got to understand that not everybody's created equal from a money perspective, like even some state schools, 
right? There are state schools where they might be 11.7, but they might be only the equivalent of 11.7 in-state scholarships. So if they go out of state to go get a kid, they're gonna have to fundamentally pay more. The percentage still applies to that player based on their tuition. But, you know, say you're from the state of North Carolina and you're a North Carolina state school and it costs, you know, however much money, but that's what you're, you essentially are dealing with a pool of money that you get to work with, that you have to figure out how to divvy out based on the, the percentage minimums. Um, so definitely some nuance there. Uh, definitely some things that you know parents and you know players should should certainly understand. Before we get to Division Two, I think it's worth just putting a little bit of context around the number associated with the scholarship and how that can factor in to you know decisions that might get made and in understanding what a good offer is. Right? If you if you just do the basic math, right? You've got 32 guys who get 11.7 scholarships it's really hard for coaches to hand out a ton of just baseball money to a bunch of kids you can't go offering everybody 70 percent baseball money it, it the math just doesn't add up um, nope. so if you're a pitcher or you're a catcher or you're a shortstop or you're a center fielder that's probably where the bulk of the money is going to get spent for a roster right coaches are going to build through the middle this is almost unanimous across college baseball is that you're, you're generally going to spend probably more than half your scholarship money on arms alone. Mm -hmm. You're going to dump some money into the guy behind the plate. Ideally, you're going to dump some money into dudes who are going to play defense and be in the middle of the field. And if this guy's got an electric bat, you know, maybe you'll dump some money into that. But if you start getting into the 50 60 percent range for a scholarship offer that's a big offer um and i think that that gets you know you i hear people you know he's got a full ride he's got a full ride he probably doesn't have a full ride if you start getting to 50 or 60 percent and that's an offer that you get from a school they clearly think that you have a chance to be a difference maker in their program right even if you're a corner infielder or a corner outfielder at the next level and you get 35%, they're telling you that you probably matter to them, right? Yep. You're not a minimum offer guy. You don't play a premium defensive position. So they must think you could do something really well. Now, obviously these are all relative to the program you're going to and where you kind of fit, but um, you know, that number does matter. It, it gives you some clues into how they view you uh, from a, you know, from a future role perspective. Yeah, no, the size obviously of the of the package is going to kind of determine how much value they're putting on you and, and what they think you're capable of doing in the future once you get there. So the you start creeping into the 40s and the 50s and the 60s, like the, those are substantial offers um that, that's essentially telling you like hey we think you're going to be pretty good at this at, at this school and you're going to play a lot of innings or, or or pitch in high leverage spots like though that that's what that's kind of telling you off the jump um you know and it, it's no real you know it, it's going to be no different across any division though right like you know division two i think is nine scholarships um and there's no real rules per se like there are in division one like there's no minimum that you can you have to offer you can you can put it across to your entire roster um which 
isn't going to happen. You're not, you know, there's no roster limit, so you're not just going to scholarship 50 guys. Um, you know, but you're if you're a Division two school, like you're probably going to make substantial offers to guys that, you know, arms that you think are going to be really good for you, guys who are going to play in the middle of the field. Um, you know, at the Division three level, there is no scholarship money, and we'll, we'll kind of get into this. I'm just kind of glossing over, but, you know, if you're getting guaranteed roster spots and, and things like that from Division three schools, like they think that you're going to be pretty good in the future. Um, you know, and I, I, we can, we'll delve into it a little bit. We'll touch on JUCO and NAIA, but NAIA has like 12 scholarships too, which, you know, same kind of idea. They, they have 12 scholarships for their entire roster, you know, so if you're getting a little bit more money there, probably think you're going to be pretty good, you know, so it's it, it, the size, obviously, regardless of the division you're in or, or what they're kind of offering is going to kind of tell you what they think of you moving forward. Yeah, perfectly said. I think really at the Division One level, the only the only hard and true, and it becomes a little bit program specific after this, but the only hard and true where there is no scholarships involved is the pay, uh, the Ivy League, right? No athletic scholarships in the Ivy League. Um, everything there is going to be financial aid. Uh, is is basically what it's going to be. You don't get a you know you don't get a ton of merit money if you're if you're going to Harvard because uh, yeah you're kind of kind of picking between the best there, but um, and then you have the academies, so Navy, Army, Air Force, those are all schools that you will not pay to go there, right? If you can get into Army, Navy, and the Air Force, and you are going to commit to our country from a military perspective and play super high-level baseball, just like everybody else who's on that campus, that is, you do not pay to go there. Um, outside of that, there are a few other programs that do not have scholarships, um, but, you know, in, in general, um, you know, it's going to be program to program beyond that. So uh, Division Two, you hit on it, nine scholarships. There's no limit to how they can distribute that. So there's no minimum scholarship offer. A coach could offer you $1,000 or he could offer you full tuition. So anywhere in between. And there's no, there's no minimum or there's no maximum amount of players that you can offer to. So you could have a roster of 35. And if you chose to, you could distribute your nine scholarships across all 35 guys, assuming that's not how you would do it. Um, maybe we'll get a couple Division two guy, two, Division two head coaches on here to maybe talk about that in particular. But my guess would be you're still going to operate very similar to a Division one program where you're going to have a small chunk of walk-on guys. They're going to help build out your roster. They may be able to afford school for various reasons. Maybe they do really well in the classroom. You know, maybe they... You know, they come from money and they don't, you know, money's not a big concern for them, but you're probably going to distribute your money up the middle of the field, just like everybody else does. Um, D3, we both spent time at this level. Um, you financial aid and academic money. Um, that's really all it is. And we get asked this, and I know you've probably gotten asked this as a head coach, like, can you get us money? Want to walk us through why that doesn't happen? <laughs> uh, yeah, you're not. Depending on the school at the Division three level, there's like some schools do get spots where you can have guys, you, you more or less kind of sponsor guys getting in. Now, that being said, you're still going to have to be able to more or less get into the school on your own. Um you know, but that being said, like when I was at RPI, there was no, you know, the, the, the decision upon you getting into school 
is admissions decision. It's not like I, I couldn't walk in there and be like, hey, I really this kid can is gonna be really good for us. Like we need to get him in here. You know, if you were a eleven fifty and a you know two eight and you wanted engineering, like you were not going to be accepted. It's just it wasn't gonna happen because it's not it's below their academic standards. So you know, for those reasons, and then when it goes to financial aid, uh, you know, and specifically at RPI, they're need blind, you know, so they don't necessarily know everything it is that, you know, they know from, they need to know from, um, they won't look at the academics and the athletics and all that stuff. It's when it gets, comes to the need-based stuff. So, you know, it's all independent of kind of, uh, of athletics. So I couldn't call financial aid and be like, hey, this kid's really good. We got to get him more money not going to happen. You can appeal your financial aid package like every other single student who's been accepted and go from there. But there's no, you have to be able to get into the school on your own, more or less. And, you know, the financial aid piece is completely separate and it's it's designed that way. But you, you know, you're not going to be able to call down. I mean, I'm sure there's some people out there who can, and I'm sure some people out there will tell you they can. Um, but by and large, it's the coaches aren't going to be able to just call, pick up the phone, call financially and be like, yeah, we'll get you another five grand. Don't worry about it. It's not going to happen. We were told you do, you, you don't even pick up that phone. Like it, they, they have, every school has their own formula, right? So when, I guess a piece of advice I would give to parents when you go to fill out the financial aid package, whether it's, doesn't matter where you're going to school, first and foremost, be honest. Because you're gonna you're gonna have an you're gonna have an opportunity to basically fill out a financial aid calculator, and the calculator is fundamentally the same across all the schools, but their formulas are all a little bit different in terms of how they calculate it. Some schools will take into account that you may have uh, another child that's in school, and they'll factor that in as an expense that will go towards your financial aid esti estimate. But it'll only you need to know that it'll only apply for the years that that sibling is in school. Um, other expenses, some schools don't, they don't care about that. They don't care if you have four kids in college, they're going to tell you based off of the numbers that you submit. But if you're going to get an accurate read, you need to make sure that you disclose all your income that is going to be found during the financial aid background, because we've had this happen where somebody will go through the financial aid calculator and they come up with a number that they really like. And then they get their actual financial aid packages and there's a big gap and we'll call a financial aid office and they'll go well yeah he didn't disclose or she didn't disclose that they had this five hundred thousand dollar asset and it's like well yeah that changes things quite a bit so be honest with it and you'll usually get a pretty good read on it um yeah I, I've, I've had multiple parents who are like you know what can you give us some money and you know i, I never really ask anyone's financials and then you know, you, you find out that they, you know, make a million a year, like probably not going to get a lot of financial aid in, in that right. situation. Like that's just unfortunately the reality uh, of where things are at, at the college level with financial aid and those things. So, you know, to your point, like be honest and, and be realistic. And every school has a financial aid calculator. You can go fill it out and get a general idea of what type of financial aid you're going to get based on similar yeah. students have gotten over the course of the last however many years. Yeah, and if you're if you fully disclose the information that they asked for and you give it to them accurately, I would actually, if you wanna get a really comfortable with the number, I would suggest that 
you overestimate some of those numbers. Um, that way, that number that comes in may actually be a little bit high. So you have a really good understanding whether that's going to be affordable. Um, from a merit-based perspective, that's going to change from school to school. Uh, you know, if you're a high academic kid, you know, if you're looking at the NESCAC or you're looking at a Rochester or a Vassar or a Haverford or a Hopkins, like schools in that caliber, uh, generally not going to be a ton of merit money there because you're splitting between some of the best students in the whole country. Um, you go a step down academically, yeah, there's going to be some some merit money that's going to be available there. I, they're usually pretty transparent. It's it's based off a of GPA, your test scores, maybe some extracurriculars, and there's usually bands that you fall within. Um, a lot of this documentation is fairly publicly accessible. The coach that you're communicating with should be fully aware of where you fall and have a pretty good idea that of where you would fall from a merit-based perspective. I mean, I know we have some some good friends who coach at that level and every single one of them can look at a transcript, look at a test score and be like, yeah, you'll get between 15 and 20 is what we usually see for kids like you from this school, from this area with these kind of grades. Um, but understand that that's gonna be different uh, it usually maxes out to a certain level, um, but between the financial aid and the merit money, uh, some of these schools are incredibly generous with the money that they hand out. And you'll, have, you'll often be surprised, specifically with the high academic schools, you'll often be surprised with the amount of money um, that they are willing to give out. There are some special exceptions as well, and this is slightly different from school to school, but there are a lot of schools that essentially set a floor for the amount of money that a family may take in. So if you, I think it was Princeton just the other day. Um, I know that when I was when I was at Vassar, they had a similar rule in place where if the household family income was less than $70,000 and you could get into school, you didn't have to pay anything. And that's fairly normal for a lot of high academic schools um, where if you are financially burdened at a certain level, uh, they will not, ask for you to pay anything, um, room and board or tuition. So, um, you know, ask about those things, you know, coaches should be very aware of, it, of exactly what they can work with from a financial perspective and how they can move you through the financial aid process. Um, but if money is a concern, you know, and if, you, if you're a, a family that falls in that, like kind of true middle ground where you probably make enough money where everything is all right, but when you start factoring in $60,000 or $70,000 for school, it might look like you have that money, but you really don't have that money. Um, that's where it can get a little bit tricky. So make sure that if money is a potential concern and you are getting recruited at the division three level, which is fantastic baseball, make sure you have that conversation up front with the coach because you can alleviate either a lot of stress or you can prevent wasting anybody's time. If that coach tells you, Hey, like, you know, the best we're going to be able to do is get it down to this price. If you can't handle that, then there's no use, uh, you know, continuing down that road. So. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, no. I can't tell you the, the, the amount of people that I recruited when I was at RPI that, you know, would flat out just be like, yeah, we, we're not going to be able to afford this. And it's, you know, it stinks and, and I get it, you know, and I mean, I, I told people all the time when I was coaching, like, you know, if I was being recruited now, like my parents wouldn't be able to afford it. Like I, I know that for a fact, you know, so it's, <clears throat> I mean, shoot, I think we talked about it with Chris, you know, it's, it's 
over 80 total cost of attendance. You know, that's now I think the financial aid was a little bit better this year, but you know, I'm, I'm out of it now, but you know, that's, that's a, that's a pretty, that's a hefty price tag for a, 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 an education and, and coming up with that money and, and things like that. So, you know, it's like, be honest with it and, and be upfront because like, you know, when you say that, you know, it's not a negative to say like, you don't want to waste people's time. Like you don't want to waste your time either. You know, you don't yep. want to go down the road of, you know, four or five, six months of being recruited by this school only to find out when you get your financial aid package in, you know, March, let's say that like, this isn't even going to be close to affordable, you know, when you could have found more opportunities otherwise, because you were like, Hey, like the real, the reality is like, we're likely not going to be able to afford this. And, you know, that's fine, you know, but this is where like, you have to be honest with, with yourself on where you are from that standpoint. Yeah. And I mean, there's a little bit of strategy to this too, right? Like if you're one of those kids who has the grades to maybe get into an SCAC school, right? You're talking about the elite academic schools in the country, but money is a concern, right? They're only going to consider your, they have their formula. You're going to get what you get. But if you fall on that funky middle ground um, where you show enough to not get enough, um, there's some strategy that you can use with how you target school. So maybe you go and take a slight step down from an academic perspective, quote unquote, from an academic perspective. I have my stances on this uh, about the value of the piece of paper that you get in college is kind of what you, you know, what you get out of what you, the work you want to put into it and what you want to get out of it and how you're able to adapt when you get out of school. But if you're that really high level academic kid and money is a concern, there's nothing wrong with saying, all right, well, I can't afford to go to name whatever NASCAC school, but I'm a really freaking good student. So I'm going to go to the next best school that I can, I can find where I'm going to go and get a bunch of merit money because I'm a really good student. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Um, and it's a strategy that I've, I've encouraged some families to use is like, Hey, money is an issue and that's okay. Like part of this process is figuring that out. Cause that's a huge part of the fit. So Knowing where you are academically, knowing where you map to from an academic perspective, and you can work backwards from there to figure out, all right, what's the money going to look like, right? Some, some states have an awesome state school system. Other states don't and are very limited. So if you're in-state versus out-of-state, that can have a huge impact. So those are just things you want to consider uh, as you go through the process and understand that if you are going to be or going to be considering or getting recruited by division three schools like you need to do a little bit more research on where you're going to fit financially because there's a component of it that you do not control uh, where division one division two naia and junior college they've got money to hand out that is specifically for baseball which you can move on to to naia but very similar to division two you just get 12 scholarships. So no roster limit, no ro no scholarship minimum. You get 12 scholarships across uh, your There's roster. There's no recruiting rules either, really. So like they can, they can recruit really no recruiting from, rules. from freshman year all the way through. Um, yeah. You know, and the one, the one unique thing I think about you, you, the, there's a lot of unique things about NAI, but they, you know, really build the fact of like, there, there are a lot of, smaller schools with you know similar academic or similar budgets 
So you're, you know, you're, everyone's kind of on the same playing field from a athletic standpoint in NAIA. So it's not really <clears throat> the haves and the have nots. Like everyone in baseball gets 12 scholarships. Everyone generally has the same amount of money from a budgetary standpoint. So, you know, the, the, everyone, it's not the, you know, the merest of the world going up against the, the, you know, old misses of the world. Um, from a facilities and travel and all of those types of things. So, you know, it's uh, everyone's kind of on the same playing field there. Um, you know, so it's a, it's a unique kind of um, idea and, and concept that they have. And it, it's had some success. You know, there's, there's some really good NAI baseball teams out there that are, you know, can compete. Um, you know, it, it's not a bad option to, to, to take into account. Now I also, you know, I digress for a second, but you know, it's a little bit more of a, you know, I think a little bit more regionally based, right? Like there's a, there's some more NAI schools in the, you know, in the South and the Midwest than there are in many other parts of the country. So, you know, it's a, it's a little bit more regionally based from that standpoint too, but it doesn't take away from the fact that it's still, you know, pretty good baseball. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, we talk about this all the time. Like if you're playing, if you're playing college baseball at all, uh, yeah, are there some teams that aren't very good? Yeah, of course, right? But at every level, you can find really talented ball clubs. And you're going to find that in NAI. Like, the academic requirements tend to be a little bit less in terms of your eligibility um, for NAIA. And cost of school is typically a little bit lower. So it can be a more accessible route for a lot of players. Um, and make no mistake about it, like turn on the NAI World Series, like, you know, go watch some highlights. Like there's some big, strong, physical, talented kids who play at that level. And you need to be good, especially to play at the really good schools. Um, and there are some there are some name brand programs at that level. And, um, you know, to, to completely shut that out as an option, uh, you know, I, I just think that you want to make sure that you have options before you start shutting out options. Um, but important to understand that there is baseball outside of Division One, Division Two, Division Three, uh, NAIA being an, another option for guys and something that people should certainly look into. Um, junior college. This one's interesting because there's essentially three tiers. I'll let you break this one down. Um, but there's some nuance here that probably doesn't get spoken about enough in I think we have a chance to, to shed a little bit of light on the differences between the divisions and w what they have from a, a financial capability perspective. Yeah. The Juco is broken down to division one, two, and three as well. Um, division one and two in junior college, just like in NCAA can give scholarships. Uh, the, the main difference between the two is Division one can pay for full athletic scholarships. It, you know, it's tuition, fees, books, room board, everything. Um, they can give you up to $250 in course required supplies. Um, and they can also pay for transportation costs once an academic year to and from school. Um, each school has the a limit on the, you know, each individual school is the limit on the number of scholarships that can be granted at the division one level. Same thing at division two level. The only difference is at the division two level in junior college, you cannot pay for student athletes to be able to have one trip to and from campus. 
So Division two, you get the same thing, the full athletic scholarships, um, or excuse me, they're limited to tuition, books, fees, and up to $250 in course required materials. You know, so there's um, a little bit more there. And then Division three and JUCO doesn't have any scholarships whatsoever. You know, I think it's important to note too, like the each individual school has um, different, like they can choose what division to be in in each sport so like you could be you could have division one two and three schools or excuse me sports at the same school it just kind of depends on what it is that they deem um each sport to be and then they you know decide from there and then those are the scholarly you get scholarship money and then they can grant however many it is that they want so you know it's still it's a it's a great option you know we've talked about before how junior college baseball is really good all over this country so you know, there's division one, two, and three, you, you know, you can get scholarship money. That's going to even, you know, generally speaking, the, the community colleges are, a, you know, more cost-effective route. Um, and then scholarships, if the division one or two can make it even more cost-effective, you get your associate's degree in two years and you can move on to a four-year school. Um, and I think the other thing too, with a JUCO that, you know, should be noted just as a side is, you know, you can leave after your first year to go to a four-year school as well. Like you don't necessarily have to be locked in for two years, get your associates and then move on. Like you could go for a year, develop and, you know, go play somewhere else for your last three years. Yeah, JUCO is not a, it's, it, it shouldn't be a fallback plan. The process there is going to be a little bit later. Like you're not going to see, you know, 2025s come into JUCOs right now. But if you're a high school kid and money's a concern maybe you need to get your stuff together from an academic perspective like maybe you didn't figure out how to be a good student until you were a senior you need to get some stuff in line um maybe you just need to get a little bit bigger a little bit stronger and you need to play right there's far fewer restrictions around the amount of time and the amount of contact you can have with your coaches at the junior college level they play a ton of baseball um junior college is a legitimate option and I've gotten to the point where it's a little frustrating to hear people think like, oh, that's not for me. Well, you're gonna, if you go there and you get your associate's degree, you're gonna get it really cheap. You're gonna check all the boxes from a requirement perspective that you're gonna have to check at a four-year school, but you're gonna do it for, you know, in, in some cases you might be looking at it, you know, an eighth of the cost. Um, and that's if you don't get any scholarship money, you may be able to do it for free. Uh, so you go, you play, a boatload of games. You can go play your summer ball. You get a chance to develop. You're going to play some really high level competition. And if after two years, you don't end up being a draft guy, you go and you move on to a four year school at one of the other levels of college baseball and you go and you get your degree from a four year school. And at the end of the day, you've now probably cut the cost of your school in half and you've given yourself two more years to get better. There's a reason why when you look at the SEC, when you look at the Sun Belt, when you look at the Big 12, that those rosters are riddled with junior college kids. Riddled might not be the wrong word because it might be the wrong word because it, it suggests like that it's a bad thing. But there is a large amount of junior college kids that sit on those rosters. And it's because by the time those guys finish up playing as freshmen or sophomores, they have physically matured. They have closed the gap on the competition. And now these guys have 300 at-bats or 150 innings under their belt, and they're ready to compete at the absolute top level of college baseball. So 
before you write off junior college baseball, I think it's important to understand the items that you outlined around the scholarships, around how it can become really affordable, but also don't discount the quality of play. Don't discount it as an option. A lot of times it can be a really good option for a young player who might just need uh, an environment that's going to uh, allow him to play a little bit more, maybe a spot that he can bounce back academically and kind of figure some stuff out. But um, yeah, certainly don't discount it. And I, I think it can be a great option for a lot of guys, especially being as competitive it is right now. You know, some guys just need another year to get better. They need to get coached. They need to get in the weight room and that can make all the difference in the world for them. Yeah. Juco, I think is, I think you get 20 games in the fall and then 56 in the spring. I mean, you play a lot of college baseball and get pretty good at it um, and do it for a lot cheaper than you might otherwise um, be doing at a four-year school while, while playing and, you know, maybe versus sitting at a different school. So it's a, it's a really good option. And I, I you know, I, I, I don't think that people should be, you know, scoffing at it. It's a, it's something that should be on the table for most people. If you want to get good at baseball, Keith, you got to play baseball. Uh, you can only get so good doing, doing drill work and throwing bullpens, right? Like we're not trying to be good at drills. You know, we're not trying to be good at throwing things against walls, right? That's a part of the development. But at the end of the day, like we're trying to be good at playing baseball and there's no, there's no split in hairs. Like you just get to play more at the junior college level. Coaches get to have their hands on you a lot more and you're just on the field a lot more. So from a development perspective, you know, if baseball is a main driving force in what you do, like it, I would encourage you to start looking at junior college schools and really, really take those into consideration if that's going to be an option for you. So I think that covers the scholarship portion, coach. Sure does. I want to talk a little bit about some stats and the kind of the nuance as to why they matter and why they don't. Sure. They matter <laughs> in a, in a very, in a, in a very obvious way. Um, you know, I, I think as coaches, you know, when kids email you and tell you, you know, Hey, I, I'm hitting 350, blah, 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 whatever. It's great to see. Cause you want to see kids having the success that they should be having if you're trying to recruit them. The caveat to that is, you know, you, it, it becomes the double-edged sword. Like, you know, what you always kind of wonder, like, what type of pitching are they seeing? What is it? Like, what is the competition is that they're playing? Um, you know, if you're a pitcher who all of a sudden is just punching out the world, you know, what, what type of hitters are they facing? Like, is their stuff that good or are they, you know, just so much better than the competition that they're playing? Cause they're, uh, you know, division one arm playing in the, you know, class E high school league. Um, you know, so at the, at the end of the day, coaches are always going to want to get eyes on anyways. Um, you know, but I think it's, they matter from the standpoint of like, I, you know, I always like to say like hitters hit, right? Like hitters hit, like whether or not it's three o'clock in the afternoon or seven o'clock at night or 11 in the morning, it's a dude who's, throwing 72 or a dude who's throwing 92 like hitters are going to hit you know so if i'm recruiting a hitter and he you know if he's continually telling me he's got you know a hit every night he's hitting 350 he's hitting 360 he's hitting 380 he's hitting 420 you know i like okay like did i want to get out and see what this looks like um you know and conversely it's you know it doesn't mean that if you're telling me you're hitting 280 that i'm not going to recruit you 
you know, it, it just depends. Like I'm still going to get eyes on and kind of make my decision there. But, you know, it's the same thing. Like you're going to be like, okay, like if you're hitting 280 against dudes who are, you know, 87 to 88 every time you go out there, like now we're talking about something that's going to play at the college level. You're hitting 280 against guys who are throwing 74. You're not going to see that in college all that often. So, you know, might not play. You know, so it's it's things like that. There's a lot more nuance that goes into it that, that we love to say. But, you know, I, I think they're they do matter. Um, but, you know, I like to say with an asterisk, you know, that we coaches are going to want to get out and see you play, see how, it, you know, see how that sets up in game, you know, things like that before they really start making a decision. Like no one's ever going to be like, OK, this guy's hitting 350. Like we're going to offer him a spot they're still going to come out and see you and see what it looks like so that they can make an informed decision that way. Yeah, spot on. I think for me, bad stats are huge red flags. Right? I don't care what high school league you play in. Um, high school baseball is not college baseball. I don't care how good you are. Unless you got some absolutely elite juggernaut arm on the mound, most Division three pitchers of any quality are going to carve up high school kids. They can just pitch. Right. And yeah, you have kids who are going to be really good. But, you know, if you're a high school kid and you know, if you're a coach and you're evaluating a kid and he's hitting 170 for his high school team, like that's a problem. Um, it makes it really hard to feel good unless the kid's really young or he's just a freak show athlete who hasn't figured it out yet. Like he needs to be really unique if he can't compete um statistically at, at at the high school level um but the same thing kind of goes for the top end of the the, the metrics is just because you are hitting 450 or just because you are have a one era that doesn't make you a division one scholarship guy right it, that's that nuance of hey you, there's some really good high school players who are going to hit 400 this year that aren't going to get division one scholarships. And that doesn't mean that they're not good is that they probably don't have a tool set that coaches feel super comfortable. That's going to be able to translate to the next level. Right. And some of those guys will go on to have great division three, division two careers. And, you know, some of them will, will beat the odds and end up playing pro ball. But once you have the good numbers, right. Once you are hitting 370 or 400 or your ERs or ERA is really low, now we need to really dig into how does what you do translate to the program that I'm at, right? I've seen some high school guys who are like 81 to 84 and they carve because they can pitch, they're composed, they're super competitive, they got feel for a secondary pitch, but that kid's not a division one scholarship guy unless he's a six foot four lefty who you feel is gonna throw really hard. Like that's probably just the reality of it. So the nuance at the top end of the statistics is is where I think the conversation really starts is, you know, we expect you to be good. I mean, even at Vassar, like our our best players, they're all the best players on the high school teams. Right at RPI, like most of your guys, unless they came from like an elite high school program, like they're probably the best players. And, you know, I mean, you had guys who move on to play professional baseball and affiliated baseball. You know, we're not talking uh you know some some men's league where you know we're talking you know single a baseball you know out of rpi and um yeah i think that some context around that needs to be understood because a lot of times parents and players will lean on statistics and it's, it's hard to have that conversation that hey i know that 
you punched out 14 guys last night, and that's awesome. Like, you should feel good about that. We need to move on. But that's not the deciding factor for coaches. They're going to look at more than just that. They're going to look at how does what you do now and how do what you project to do translate to the level that I'm coaching at. Right. There's no – you know, you could be 78 to 81 from the right side and carve in, in, in high school. And, you know, that's not going to play in the college level. You know, there's going to have to be an uptick in velo. Um, you know, so there's, you know, I, you're right. Like there's, there's a little bit more to it there, you know, and, and I think it's probably a little bit more on the, the pitching end, I would say. Um, but yeah, like every player that you're that generally every player that's going to go play in college is one of, if not the best player on his high school team. Like that's just the reality. There's so few guys that are going to go play in college. Like the best guys are going to go play in college. It's, I used to say this all the time to my guys, like it doesn't, when you level up, like it doesn't get easier, right? Like you don't go from high school to college and it's suddenly easier to play baseball at that level. You don't go from college to minor league baseball and be like, this is far easier than college. And you don't make it to the show and be like, "Mm." you know, it was a lot easier to, you know, and this is so much easier than minor league baseball. Like, I don't understand how it took me so long to get here. Like, no, it's the harder you go up, the, the, the higher you go, the harder it becomes because you're playing against far better players, you know? So it's, I, I think it can kind of get, you know, you're going to eventually land on a lot of the guys that are the most athletic and the best players on their high school teams, you know? So like those guys are going to go play in college. And then from there, you kind of figure it out. But yeah. Like you're, you know, I, I always took, you know, like I said, I, I, I always thought stats was like important with an asterisk. Cause I still wanted to get out and see you play if I could, you know, obviously if, if you're, you know, from Seattle, Washington and I can't get out there and see you like then, you know, it makes a little bit of more of a, of a different conversation, but you know, I, I'm going to get out and try to see the majority of the guys that I'm recruiting to our program, you know? So you're like, yeah, I want to see that your stats are good, but I also want to see that like when I show up and watch you play, like it, I think that your skill set is going to play in our program, in our league and beyond. Yeah. The, the, the hitter evaluation is the one for me that I think is really important to see him against good competition. Like, Pitchers, you can evaluate stuff in like a little bit of a vacuum. Like you can see if a kid's 87 to 89 and it comes out really good and he's got the ability to throw a bunch of strikes and you can see the ball spin. Like he doesn't nest. You don't have to see that guy against good competition, but I'll tell you what, I want to see hitters against that type of arm. I want to see hitters against somebody that's going to turn that, that is, they're probably going to play against in college because it's one easy way to get fooled. Um, and I've had these conversations with coaches. I've had them with you, with whoever. Like, you see some guys, and every time a guy's 83, 84, they're really good. And they can get the barrel to the ball, and their pitch recognition's good because they're not really threatened by a good breaking ball. They're, they're hitting in good counts because the kids don't throw enough strikes. Like, good, great. I still get a little bit hesitant because it's like, all right, what are you going to do when you see 87, 88, and now you need to – uh, speed up your bail. You need to make decisions a little bit quicker. That guy's got a little bit of a better breaking ball. Maybe he can cross count you. Like, what are you going to do against somebody who's going to be closer to the level that you're at? So, you know, was that when I was at William and Mary, I wanted to make sure that dudes could handle velocity, right? Because if you can't get to 88, 89, 
hitting in college is really hard because as soon as you have to cheat to get to velocity, you open yourself up for all kinds of other stuff and makes it really tough to handle breaking balls. And you have to be incredibly good mentally to close that gap in terms of being able to understand pitch recognition patterns, sitting on pitches. Like you can, you can cheat your way to it a little bit, but uh, I've had coaches tell me, Hey, I'm off this guy because every time I see him against a good arm, I just don't see good results. I see bad swings. The pitch recognition takes a step back, uh, has trouble getting the velocity. So there's some nuance in the evaluation there. And that's why the stats don't always tell the whole story because you can, you can, you know, you, you might go and beat up on a bunch of okay high school guys because you're a pretty good high school hitter. But every time you face somebody that's good, you have a, tr- you have a tough time putting together really good at bats and, you know, it's something coaches are going to look at. It's not a knock on the player, like I'm speaking broadly, but from a player and from a, a parent perspective, understanding that these are the types of things that coaches are looking at is important for you to understand through the evaluation process that you're four for four off of, you know, the below average high school arm honestly doesn't mean as much as the one for three with a walk and two other competitive at bats against a really good arm. I'd rather see that than the four for four against a bad arm. I'd rather see a kid go and compete, maybe lay off some good breaking balls that tells you, hey, this kid sees the ball okay. You know, maybe maybe snap hook an 88 mile an hour fastball down a left-handed line that tells me, okay, he's got some bat speed. Like it's not always about the result. It's about do you have the tool set that's going to translate to the level that I'm at. Yeah, I I, I couldn't agree more with that (laughs) there's a lot more that goes into it uh, you know obviously than just stats and I think that that's kind of what we're driving at here like you can you can have really good stats but it's going to depend on you know what your skill set is and how it's going to fit into to certain programs so you know they do matter you know you, you want guys to have really good stats but it's also you know what what does your skill set look like given those stats and how does it fit into the college game at, at specific programs or, or programs that are looking to recruit you, Um, you know, because you might not be getting recruited if you have really good stats and you're 68 to 74, but you have really good control. And I flip a breaking ball in there. Like that's not going to play at the next level, unfortunately. Oh, it's the cruel truth, Keith. It's the cruel truth. Um, all right, well, let's close this one out with talking about what to look for in a program that develops players really well. Um, I think there's a few things to consider here. Right? I think we, we both have a, a little bit to add to this topic, but um, I'll, let you, I'll let you start this one off and, and kind of frame up from uh, through the player's eyes and the parent's eyes, like things that they should take note of um, as they get to know coaches, as they get to evaluate programs and some things that they should, they should consider. Yeah. I think the, you know, the, the most basic one is, you know, do they win, you know, what, how many wins and, and how much success have they found since they've been there? You know, and obviously this, you know, this one's, it can be a little tricky because it depends on how long, that coach has been there, right? Like if you're just taking over the program and it maybe wasn't that good and you had a, you know, not so great first year, like 
you know, let's wait until we get a year or two of, uh, of your recruits in there before we really start passing judgment. <clears throat> and conversely, you know, you have guys who get in there and, and they take over a really good program and, you know, they have a good first two, three years. And then after that, you know, it trails off from where it was because they, you know, might not be doing, um, you know, that great of a job. So it, it goes both ways, right? Like you're going to see guys that take over bad programs and, you know, you see those wins start to really trend up and teams really start to compete and you see guys who take over good programs and it goes the other way. Um, you know, but ultimately I think some of the things that, you can kind of look at or, you know, what type of, you know, how many all-conference players do they have? You know, that stuff is voted on by other coaches in the league. You know, guys who are, you know, they're going to vote on what players had a really good year in conference. You know, how many all-region, all-American guys have they had? Um, you know, how many guys have gotten to the next level? You know, whether it's going to be, you know, getting drafted or, or, or signing professionally as a free agent and, and playing affiliated baseball. Um, you know, in the flip side, it could be, you know, from a JUCO standpoint, like how many guys have, you know, moved on to four-year schools from this school, you know, so it, it kind of gives you a, a little bit of a base on like where, where they're at in their development with the players that they have in their program and what they've had, you know, have they had any, you know, players of the year, pitchers of the year, rookies of the year, you know, things like that. It'll, it'll kind of tell you like, okay, like these, you know, that they have some guys here that have had a lot of success and they've, you know, had the pitcher of the year and the rookie of the year. And, and then they also have had, you know, 30 all conference guys and, you know, a handful of all region and a couple all Americans. So, you know, if they're getting that, like, obviously not, every, you know, they're not going to walk in on campus and be those guys right away. You know, so there, there's something going on in that program that is getting those guys to that level where they're, you know, being recognized as some of the better players in the conference, some of the better players in the region, you know, if you make all American, like you're one of the best players in the country, you know, so there, there's something going on there, you know, that, that'll show you and, and kind of tell you without really kind of asking and, and going in depth of like, okay, like, you know, these guys have a lot of all region guys, or, you know, these guys have been here for 10 years and, you know, they have two all conference guys in those 10 years. Like that's going to tell you something too, you know? So it, it, when you go through this process, like you, you have to be objective enough to kind of look at it and be like, okay, like, you know, this staff has a lot of guys who have been all conference. This staff has one, you know, and, and that's the truth, you know? And so, you know, it's, you, you kind of have to go through that, like think through that process and given those, those, you know, kind of hard truths and, and kind of figure out what might be the best fit for you. Yeah. I mean, the winning thing is, I think Chris put it pretty simply that, if a program consistently wins, there's probably something pretty good going on there, right? They're either really good at evaluating, you know, generally you need to be pretty good at that. And, um, but more importantly, like if you're going to consistently win, guys need to continue to get better because you, and you'll see this with some programs and it's not a knock on them. It's just, you know, just, just talking through the mechanics of it, but like you'll see some programs will get really hot for like a two, two year window. And it's because maybe they they hit on a bunch of dudes who ended up being really good for that window and then they'll fizzle off because guys behind them maybe not have developed and you don't get that consistently consistency throughout a program, right? Like, you know, and it's the higher up you are, the better player you get to pick from, right? So development, you know, I think plays a big key at, at some of those higher levels to consistently be good because you need to find a way to separate yourself from everybody else. I think one of the things that parents and players specifically need to chime into, you need to, 
you need to, from a development perspective, if you want to develop, not only do you want to look at the coach's track record, but you want to make sure that your style of play or what you are going to do matches with how they develop players, right? Some coaches can develop everybody, right? And they're, they're not going to cookie cutter guys. They're going to let guys be themselves. They're going to let guys be athletic. They're going to make tweaks. They're going to make adjustments. They're going to help them get better between their ears. I think that's where a lot of the money's made at the college level is you get really athletic kids and you teach them how to play baseball and you let the skills kind of express themselves as the kids naturally do. And then you have other schools and you see this with, you know, I think this trickles down to a lot of the training goes on is it gets really cookie cutter, right? And kids turn into robots and everybody's going to go no stride or everybody's going to be a leg kick guy or like there, there's not a ton of flexibility there. You know, from a pitching perspective, they may prescribe to a different throwing program than you're used to, right? They may not be a plyo guy. They may subscribe to something different. So when you're having these conversations with coaches, players and parents, more importantly, the players, you need to have some questions that are going to get you feedback on what their development plan is, right? If you're a big bruiser and the program that's recruiting you is a program that really wants to run and they're going to be a little bit more uh, based or, you know, kind of speed oriented. They're going to play the bunt game. They're going to hit and run like their offense is going to be tailored to a slightly different style. Well, maybe that's not the best place for you. You know, and vice versa, if you're a kid who can really run and you're going to a program that never steals bases, well, I'm guessing that they probably don't make that an emphasis in what they do on a practice. So you're not just going to rarely do kids get to just outrun the ball, right? So understanding what you do and where you fit in and making sure that your philosophies and that coach's philosophies jive, right? They don't have to be perfect, but you want to you feel comfortable with like, I talked to this coach about hitting. And this guy's going to be able to help me get better. And I look at his resume and he's been able to do it with a lot of other guys, you know, same thing with pitching, right? If you're a data guy, and I don't think there's many pitching guys that aren't into it now, but like, if you're a data driven guy, who's comfortable with the numbers, you know how to translate them and the coach that you're coaching doesn't believe in it. It's probably not going to be a good fit. Um, you know, so make sure you have an idea for not only what they preach and how they're going to preach it, um, but take that and then kind of paste it over what their resume says. And you can pretty, you can get a pretty good idea of whether you're going to be a fit there, um, from a development perspective. And, you know, you want to make sure that you're playing for a coach that you feel is going to get the most out of you athletically, but also they're going to get the most out of you as a person as well. And I think a lot of times it's the other way around. If you can get the most out of the kid from a person perspective, you generally you generally figure out how good of a player they can be. Yeah. There, there's no doubt about that. There's, if you can get the kid to be the best version of himself, you're, you're going to eventually get the best player out of him that, that he can be, you know, so there's, that's a, a, another piece of it. You know, you'll, the, the, but to your point, you're going to want to try to figure out if you're going to fit well with that coach. You know, and Eric's talked about it on here and, and Chris talked about it. Like, you know, Chris Cloud said, like, I'm not the right guy for some kids to play for, you know, and, and Eric's kind of the same thing. Like, we're going to spend a lot of time together, you know, so you're going to want to kind of figure out, like, if you're a pitching guy, if you're a pitcher and, you know, you're going to 
be on staff there, like you're going to be spending a lot of time with the pitching coach. Like you're going to want to make sure that your, your personalities, you know, kind of line up and, and you get along with that person because there's, it, it can make for long years if you don't necessarily get along or, or agree with their philosophies and things like that. You know, it's one thing to, you know, have discussion about some things, but if you're, you know, if you want to throw heavy stuff against a wall and they don't believe in throwing plyos, like probably going to have a little bit of friction there that, you know, could have easily been avoided if we had just talked about that this on the front end. And, you know, generally it's going to be, you know, but it's something that you can, you know, kind of figure out and talk about during your, your visits and the recruiting process of just like, hey, like where, you know, what's your philosophy on this? Like, what do you guys think about that? Um, you know, makes it a little bit easier like hey i see that you guys have had you know the pitcher of the year you know five times in the last 10 years like that's awesome like what you know what is it that you're doing to you know to develop these guys and you know they'll they'll tell you like i haven't met a coach that won't be like let me tell you about some of the guys that are really good for us <laughs> like there there's always going to be good stories there you know from those kids so you know it, it's it, it's a telltale you know, kind of thing that you, you can kind of look to, to, to kind of say like, okay, like there, there, there's something going on here. That's good. Um, you know, let me dive in a little bit deeper and ask some questions to see if it's going to fit for me, you know, because it might not fit for you, you know, but, it, and that's okay. You know, but trying to figure out, you know, based off of those, you know, couple things like, all right, like, looks like something's going on here. Like they win, they have guys that are really good. They have guys move on to the next level. They're doing this, they're doing that. Like I, I, you know, ask some questions, see, you know, see if it, it's something that might be a fit for you and then, you know, continue down the road or be like, eh, I don't know. Like they're not really data driven and I love Rap Soto and Trackman. Like I, I need that type of stuff in my development. Okay. Like go find a dude who's, you know, they're there. You can find them everywhere now and, and jump in on some Rap Soto and Trackman stuff and you'll, you'll, you'll find the right fit for yourself. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I learned a little bit later in my coaching career, like, as a coach, if you're going to get the most out of a kid, they got to enjoy, they got to enjoy showing up, right? Like they got to enjoy show, coming to, coming to the park and uh, that that's every day. Right. And that doesn't mean that things can't be tough. It doesn't mean that you can't hold kids to a really high standard. Like the expectation is that you bring your a game every day. Right. So, so fun and enjoying there, there, it doesn't mean that things can't be hard. It doesn't mean that the expectation can't be high, but you can get a lot more out of a kid if he trusts you, if he believes that your intentions are good, if you hold him accountable when he needs to be held accountable, but make no mistake about it, not every kid is suited for every player. And we know this. There are some guys out there that I personally think I would have loved to play for, but we all know that they're total freaking hard asses, and there's going to be days where you're going to walk away from the field and you're going to go, How, like, why am I even here? Some people do really well in that environment, and if you've got thick skin – and you're able to handle it, those can be some of the best dudes to play for because if you can handle it, they're going to get the best out of you. But for some kids, that's the worst possible environment that they can be in. So understanding your coach's coaching style and really being thoughtful about who you are as a person, right? And sometimes you need to get, you just need to grow up a little bit, right? Because when you get to college, like newsflash, everybody, nobody cares that much about your feelings, right? Like you need to do certain things. You need to do them at a high level. You need to compete. Like it's not always going to be easy, blah, blah, blah. But there's different, there's different ways to get to that point and get to know your head coach, right? If you're a pitcher, you better get to know that pitching coach because you don't want to have to do a redo 
because you didn't ask the right questions because you didn't do enough homework like make sure that that's the program you want to be a part of um because if you do and you get it right and you're playing for coaches that you enjoy showing up for that you respect as men uh your four years will be incredible and it doesn't really matter what program you go to because every day you show up you're going to be excited to go play for that coaching staff. You're going to go excited to go compete with your teammates. Um, I think it's one of the biggest pieces of the puzzle, specifically the baseball puzzle that probably doesn't get talked about enough. Everybody loves to talk about facilities, right? And how do you guys travel and what do your weight room look like? And like, what do you feed us on the road? Like kids want to know that stuff. If you don't like your coach, none of that matters at all you can have the best weight room in the world but if every morning you walk into the weight room and you all you can think about your coach is man this guy sucks quality of that facility probably doesn't really matter that much um nope. at the end of the day everybody's 45 pound plates they all weigh the same um so don't get it twisted like you don't need all this kind of stuff to get better like you need a coach you want to get better go find a coaching staff that can develop you and don't you know, if you get to play at one of those universities or colleges that have the sick facilities and their coaches are awesome, like good on you. But, you know, if somebody's weight room isn't quite up to snuff of what you think it should be, but you love that coach, like don't pass on that place because of the weight room. You'll be just fine. Yeah. I used to tell people all the time, like there's like people would ask me my coaching style. I'm like, I've mellowed out as I've gotten older. I used to yell and scream a lot, like, you know, I don't really do it anymore, but like, make no mistake about it. Like there's probably going to be at least one point in time in your career that I'm going to yell at you. Like no one ever makes it through four years being completely perfect and never getting yelled at by a assistant coach, a head coach. Like you're going to screw up. It's okay. You know, it's, it's how, it's how you handle it and, and you know, how, you come out the other side, you know, but if it's something where, you know, you're, you're in a situation where, you know, your head guy is just completely hammering you every day, like then, you know, you probably could have figured that out a little bit on the front end and it make your life a little bit easier on the back end, you know, because if it's, if you don't like showing up to practice, like 56 games at division one level, 40 games at division three level, like you got to show up to 40 games and practice every day in between, you get one off day a week, like that, that is a long season of showing up and not being happy, you know, so you kind of want to have this, the, these things figured out on the front end. So, you know, you have the right, all the tools, all the information in front of you to make the decision that, that you, you know, hopefully puts you in the best spot to be successful going to college. Yeah. We use that, that off day loosely, not because coaches force guys to do it, but, I wasn't around many guys who were really good, whoever completely took a day off during the season, right? Like, even if it's just showing up to get some, you know, some stretching in, you know, get 50 low impact casual swings, like you just don't get the option there. And if if it's like pulling teeth to get a kid to show up to the park, that's uh, probably over anyways. It's probably not gonna go that well. Um, so yeah, coaches matter. Um, I know we started on the development piece and, and kind of got to here, but obviously the coaches you play for, they are going to be the driving factor behind your development. It's not going to be the facility. 
it's not going to be the technology. It's going to be the human who figures out the verbiage that clicks with you, who knows when to coach and when not to coach, right? Like sometimes the best thing to do is just don't do anything. And that takes coaching experience. Like I know as a young coach, like I wanted to, I wanted to make a change with everybody because it was like, I need to make my stamp to make this kid better. And as I got older and I got around some other people, like it became very clear, like sometimes you just don't need to do anything. Like just be there. Like, you want me to throw you BP today? Like, okay, I'll throw you BP. I don't need to be breaking down every one of your swings. Like we don't need to do 34 different drills to get you ready. Like sometimes I just need to be there to throw you batting practice and go, Hey, that was good. Mm-hmm. Like, let's see if we can do that again. Like in for the, if there's young coaches who are listening to this high school coaches, or maybe some young college coaches, like if I was going to give you one piece of advice, that would probably be the biggest one. It's like, get rid of your freaking ego and realize that sometimes the best coaching is to not coach at all and just let a kid be athletic and let him do what works for him. Yeah. I mean, it goes both ways. You know, I think the, you know, Dan Palini was a guy that I, I didn't even touch. Like I don't take any credit for Danny hitting 20 and nine, 26 and 19 volts when he played for me. I didn't do anything to make him any better. Like maybe in throwing some quality BP, but if you ever saw his swing, like no one would teach him to swing. Like no one would teach us that swing, but that was on the barrel all the time, man. Like it was good. It's the reason he made triple A, you know, but I, and I think the other thing too, we digress here for a second as we wrap this up, but you know, the other is, you know, sometimes you, you don't say anything because you need the kid to fail in order to get them to to make a, a, a change. Um, you know, we had a kid that is a senior now at RPI. He just had a phenomenal year. Um, but his freshman year, I, I don't think he, I, I don't think I know, he didn't get a single hit um, in the fall. And he'd come in, he had retooled his swing, and I, I didn't think it was going to play. And he didn't really want to change anything. So I didn't really fight him on it. I was just like, all right, man, like, whatever, just see what happens. Because for two reasons, one, what if it does work? Right? Like, I don't want to change everything if it doesn't work. Like, I think it's not going to work, but hey, maybe it does. But if it doesn't work, at least at the at the tail end of the fall or midway through the fall or whenever I can be like, hey, um, we're over 23 right now. Um, we need to make some changes here if we're going to find some success. And that's what it ended up being. We got out of the fall and it was just like, Hey man, like you were over the fall. Like we can't hit that way. We have to hit this way. The way that I saw you when I recruited you, you know, and then get a great sophomore year, he had a great junior year. He had a phenomenal senior year this year. Um, super happy for him. He ended up being first team player. So, you know, there's, there's some truth in, in both of it to, to just sometimes just shut your mouth and, and let a kid either fail or, or succeed. And, you know, at the end of the day, like you're not playing the game. It, it, it's for the kids to, to, to get out there and find their own success. You know, you can be a small piece of that and that's the rewarding part, but you know, you're not the one hitting the home runs or driving the runs in. You're just the one kind of 
What, what's 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 the boat thing? You're 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 moving the rudder. What are you doing there? You're, you're steering. You're, you're just you steering. Want, yeah, you don't want to be a, a rudderless ship. That's, no. I think that's the, that's what I was driving at. You're you're the guy that's just you know out there ruddering it, just just like the, you know, just <laughs> just ruddering away. <laughs> the uh, no, I mean you make a really good point. Those are painful moments. Those are the those are the nights that keep you up when you know a kid. <laughs> needs to make an adjustment and he's not ready to because up until that point whatever he was doing worked for him but it's just not going to work at the level that you're at right and sometimes they need to who's that jeez oh, i can't think of I, I get off track here a second but i was talking to somebody about it the other day i forget who it was and he said something that was like kind of profound. He's like, if they don't come to you, they won't change. And like the idea behind it was like, if the kid doesn't come to you and say, hey, coach, I want to go hit. And you have to go to him and say, hey, bud, let's go hit. He's probably not ready to make a change yet. And until they do that, you're going to have a tough time getting through to him. Right. And yeah. I thought about they're... it for a while, and I, I think it's really true. Like, yeah, it is because they're they're there's they're they're finally to the point where it's like, well, I I need to actually make a change because what I'm currently doing is not finding me any semblance of success, and they're defeated at that point in time. But you know, you're not yeah. really going to be able to make a whole a, a lot of wholesale changes with with guys that don't really want to right away, you know, and I think that that's where, you know, the, the, the coaching piece of, you know, Hey man, like either shut your mouth or, you know, you can try, but sometimes it's better to let them fail because the game's tough enough as is like let them fail and then, you know, sit them down, put someone else out there. If they do better, like, Hey man, sorry, you're hitting, Buck twenty. That dude's hitting fourth twenty. Like we're gonna keep rolling him out there. We can get into the cage and try to fix some stuff, yeah, but hey, it's game. It's about wins. Yeah, it's tough. Um But it's true. Like the guys are really good, you don't ever have to drag them to the cage. Um you know, they're the first ones to speak up. Hey, coach, like, felt a little funky today. Like, can we just get a little work in tomorrow morning? Like, the good players do that. Um, the kids who haven't figured out how to be good yet uh, generally either don't have the confidence to ask or aren't willing to try to make a change. Um, so I think that about covers it today. Coach Glasser, uh, for those of you listening for the first time, or maybe we just haven't mentioned this at the back end of a podcast because we're still trying to to get better at this, but uh, I'm Andy Kirikides and, and Keith Glasser's co-host and partner. We run a company called EMD Baseball. Um, we help high school parents and players navigate the recruiting process, education, talent evaluation, working to help them find the right fit for them. Uh, we leverage the 25 years of experience we have as coaches and the eight years as Division One players to instill uh, some, some education and some knowledge uh, to parents and families and work to help them find the right fit. So 
If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to us on social media, uh, Twitter and Instagram at emdbaseball.com. If you're watching this on YouTube, uh, go ahead and hit the like, like and subscribe button. Um, and you can check out our website, www.emdbaseball.com. Thanks for coming. We will talk to you next week.